As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Really fun show for you guys today. Earlier this week, Nate and I talked about the top four quarterbacks in this year's draft, the guys that are going to potentially be first round picks and what they look like as prospects. But I think we've learned over time that the success or failure of young quarterbacks in the NFL isn't just about what type of prospects those players are. The situation that these guys are dropped into matters immensely. So we're going to look at the other side of that coin today. We're going to look at what has led to successful quarterback play for young guys with infrastructure, the play calling, the pass catchers, the line. When these guys work out, what are they surrounded by? And when they don't, what are they surrounded by? So we thought it was a nice little combo with the show that we did earlier this week. Helping me dig through this today, first of all, my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I'm excited that our our third guest uh, here, our third member of this chat is here today. I'm very excited to work with him. But also, who knew in a sport that has 22 starters on it, including 11 on one side of the ball, that one guy needs help. That one guy <laughs> actually might need a little bit of help sometimes. And actually, will, as much as credit that we want to give to quarterbacks, which I think most of the time is deserved, sometimes... Other guys do have an impact on the play that's happening on the field, including guys off the field have an impact on the play on the field. But very excited about this one. I love love a good lessons episode or a good philosophical discussion type episode. So it's homework time, baby. That's what it's we're homework doing. time, right? Exactly. This is a perfect example of that. Helping us fill out our worksheets today. Thrilled to have him. It's Derek Klassen. Derek, thank you very much for joining us, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, very glad to be back. Should be a fun show. You know, I've done, I've been droning about very basic player scouting reports for the past like three months. So it's kind of fun to do something a little bit different, a little more, a little bit more off the cusp. Any day three receivers you like? <laughs> day three receivers. Um, I mean, <laughs> I know you have one. I, I, 
Wait, who's the one? For BYU. Is this going to be a God, bit? You, oh, you yes, guys bring, bring out your wor- the worst impulses of each other <laughs> immediately. I know, I know what Derek's going through right now. Just like, oh, yes, man, you have to watch some guy with 42 catches and <laughs> you have to dude, write up a report. The, the last thing I'll say about the draft stuff is I'm at the point where every running back I watch has like seven career receptions and it's like <laughs> literally none of you guys are going to give me anything in the passing game. This is a complete... A complete project in that in that area. So, in in terms of weird podcast subjects, there are two things that I can provide the people in my life. I can make dinner plans for my friends that are parents, and just like you need to figure this out, tell me where to be. That is the role that I play currently in my social right. strata. The other role is I can bring on different football writers and make them talk about weird stuff. Like yes. that is something I absolutely can do in filling a role. So I'm very pleased that we can make that You're happen. The gasoline to the spark on that, the spark, yes. man. That's what you are. <laughs> just, just doing my best over here. All right, Derek. I want to start with you before we get into some of the nitty gritty here. We, we talked about this a little bit off mic. Any big picture kind of takeaways as you went through this exercise? And, and before we get into that. Let me the way I did this, and we all kind of did it a little bit differently. I went through the highly drafted quarterbacks from essentially the last two CBAs. So if you go back to 2011, which was the Cam Newton draft, there were 37, I believe, first round quarterbacks taken over that stretch before last year, and then there were a few guys that got to be starters that were third, fourth round picks. That's the list is like two guys long. We know who they are: it's Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. So I looked at like 40 quarterbacks and who was successful. But in the way that you looked at it, any kind of bigger picture lessons? You're like, oh man. This is a good thing to take from this. I think the biggest thing for me, and like we'll get into more details and stuff in a little bit, but it having talent around you obviously matters. Like just like players who help like an individual play work. You know what I mean? But I think the biggest thing for me was just you look at all the guys that have been successful recently and they have a lot of mental help and like support help just in terms of like the coaching staff or like guys on the offensive line that are helping them set protections and stuff and like that. It's just they get a lot of easing into the NFL from a college structure. Because even if you come from a college program that is very NFL-like and you do real stuff, like, I don't know, like Desmond Ritter last year coming from Cincinnati, they did a lot of real stuff. It's still really hard to come in and, and play an <laughs> NFL offense. Even if you have a great offensive coordinator like uh, coordinator like Arthur Smith, like it's just it takes a lot to get guys in and get them ready. And I think the more you look at it, the more that these guys had like mental stability and guys who just around them helped raise the floor and make things a little bit easier on a down to down. I think that was, was really, really important for me. Nathan, how about you? Yeah, this was a good reiteration of some things that I kind of hold true or I, I, I value. Um, But it also was a good reminder from, uh, we'll talk about one of the sections, but a good reminder. Yes. Like Derek's saying is the, the off field stuff, having a coach or a center, or a offensive line that can make your just your life easier, but also just we're talking about raising floor, but raising ceiling and just stuff like with as far as pass catchers or anything like that with these quarterbacks is that's what I, I was a good takeaway for me. It was like, yeah, that that really did help, didn't it? Like th- that those examples. Oh, okay, I forgot about this example, but what they changed or what they added or what they included when he was selected or maybe the year two of this guy's journey. Okay, that did help. Like it, now that we could take 
as, as you like to say, take a step back and actually look at it. But now that you have time to let all this kind of stuff marinate, you're not in the thick of it. You don't really know how these guys' careers shake out when they're with and without all this help that they get. So it was a really good kind of exercise to now look at this more historically as we have more examples. You mentioned year one and year two, I think is, is good to point out. I, the way I looked at it was in the first couple of years, I yeah. looked at a lot of the success stories. So when did the success story begin? And for some of these guys, it's year two. Perfect example. Jared Goff gets drafted by the Jeff Fisher Rams. It's an absolute fucking disaster. Yes. And then in year two, Sean McVay comes in and the entire situation changes. And for some of these guys, that's how it worked. For some, it was good immediately. You know, Russell Wilson going to the Seahawks was good immediately. Dak was in great circumstances with Dallas immediately. For Trevor Lawrence, it was a nightmare in year one. And then in year two, you have a lot of important things change and you see different sort of results. So it's really like a one, two, three year consideration with some of these studies. And I think that's good to keep in mind. Outside of the lessons, I think my favorite part of this was just remembering such random stuff that happened. Yes. I The idea that Tavon Austin got a four year contract extension with like $30 million guaranteed the season after he had 440 receiving yards is amazing. Like yes. stuff like that. I was like, oh my God, I, I forgot that that even happened yes. or that Zach Miller had the highest cap hit on the 2013 Seahawks, a team that had like seven Hall what? of Famers on it. Yes. Seriously? True That's story. Really it was $11 million. He had the highest cap hit on the team for one That's... of the best teams we've seen in my lifetime. He had the That's highest cap amazing. hit. Amazing. That's so, so funny. There were some really good ones as I like dug through the team building aspects and positional allocation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. So I want to start with the pass catchers, because I think that's where my research kind of started. And I went going back all the way to like Cam Newton. What did those groups look like? Look like? So Nate, I want to start with you when you were kind of trying to find some takeaways from some of these good situations, what were the two or three kind of observations you made about the pass catching groups in these moments? Yeah. My like personal philosophy and stuff. And I've talked about this on the show and we've had discussions on this is I think the pass catchers can be, the last thing you add to help out the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying Ken here because it's not a bad thing to have good pass catchers for a guy. But And we'll talk about the offensive line in a second, and that's where I always think that point A should start. But yeah, you prefer to have some dudes, but it's actually not the worst thing to have a quarterback work with a small room for, uh, room for error, and then it gets bigger as the pass catchers get better. But I looked at some of these guys, like even guys that I've been around, and seeing how their game changes as they're able to have more room for error with a good pass catchers. Derek Carr getting Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. You know, those that was a huge jump from his rookie year to then his second and third years when he was throwing to Seth Roberts and our guy uh, uh, Andre Holmes, you know, was like their leading target getters. That's not exactly undrafted free agents, it's not exactly how you want who you want to throw to for a lot of targets. Uh, but then also get guys some like true aces. Dante Culpepper. Dropped right in in the second uh, second year as a pro, but first year starting. Had Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Not bad. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna help you throw thirty something touchdowns when you don't even like you know have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> Figure out how you play quarterback. Joe Burrow, of course, with T Higgins, Tower Boy, Jamar Chase. Um, well, ended up getting Jamar Chase, but yeah, you guys know what I mean. But it was in year the, two. I mean, that it was yeah, two. We're talking about these in like one two year yes. increments. It was very fast. And, and I, I know you guys are. I don't want to take all the all the examples, but I really do think that if you go from a bad pass catcher and then you get the good ones in the second or third year, it's like a baseball player having a donut on their bat. You know, they're swinging. It's not as fast. And then you take the donut (laughs) off. You're like, wow, this is a lot easier to swing this bat really fast. But another one that I even maybe 
underestimated because it's, now it's funny just uh, how memory works as you get older. But like Deshaun Watson, halfway starting his first year, he has Will Fuller and De- DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. Who are just idealistic guys to throw to, especially with his aggressive play style. But not only just having talented guys around you, but just guys that match to have synergy with you as well. And that was maybe my biggest takeaway is not only just getting talent, but getting talent that makes sense. And I, I, I've I've talked about this as quarterbacks, as superstars in the NBA. And you look at that and you see that that's kind of been a, a philosophy or how ba- basketball team making is happening happening right now is getting guys that make sense and synergy around a guy. So I, I think that's something that's really my, one of my bigger takeaways as I watched maybe historical examples recently and in the way past. Deshaun Watson doesn't with the Texans doesn't really check some of these boxes that we're going to talk about. The cir- circumstances weren't that good his first couple of years in Houston. They were still 12th in passing DVOA. His yeah. second, his first full year as a starter before after he got hurt. DeAndre Hopkins in 2018, their first full season together. What do you think his target share was for the oh Texans that season? Oh, dude, Der- Derek, hurt. what's your guess? What like what is the record is like <laughs> where I'm trying to start? I don't know, like 35. percent I don't I was know. Gonna say, I was going to say 31. It is. It was thirty three percent that right season. Gee, yeah, there, yeah. We <laughs> in the price is right rules, I win. In the, <laughs> so no one else in the league that year was above twenty eight point eight percent. Oh my Holy god, moly! Thirty three percent, one third. If you you know the math, the math there. Okay, <laughs> that has happened twelve times in the past twenty three years. Okay, I, I, one single player had a third of his team's target share. Randy Moss did it twice. He's oh, the yeah, only person to do it twice. 2002. Randy ratio, baby. 2002, 2003 are the two years that yeah. Randy Moss did yeah. it. Michael yep. Thomas did it once in 2019. Antonio oh. Brown. Steve yep. Smith in 05. Remember that crazy Steve Smith yep. year mm-hmm. where he just willed the Panthers to the playoffs? Was that the triple crown year? Uh, that's like the that. year where he burned the Bears down in the postseason when the Bears, <laughs> that 05 Bears defense was incredible. So He, he, also, he also scored on, on the Vikings that year. That was the year that well, – that's actually when Dante Culpepper got hurt. And he uh, – he had an homage to the love boat as his touchdown <laughs> celebration. So that's burning. So I remember that Steve Smith here very vividly. So that's how much of an outlier DeAndre Hopkins was in terms of his profile within that offense. So when we're talking about how this works, give and take matters. So the Texans offensive line, which we can get into later, was horrendous that season. Like it was yeah. not good. They had no, no plus players on the offensive line, but they had a guy getting a third of the targets who was arguably the best receiver in the league. So these things are all push and pull. It's all like a pie chart of how this can work. So Derek, on the pass catcher side of this, what was your biggest takeaway when you were looking at kind of how some of these groups were constructed for these guys that have been successes? I mean, I think Nate nailed it with synergy. Synergy is like the, it's the big word because I think having talent generally will help. Like if you just have a minus skill players, of any kind, I think that's going to help any quarterback. But, like, I think matching guys that fit their skill sets makes sense. Like, the Bengals did it perfectly. Having T. Higgins and Jamar Chase for yes. a quarterback. And like Tyler Burrow, Boyd. And Tyler mm-hmm. Boyd, who, like, Joe Burrow is so willing to, especially outside the numbers, throw up a one-on-one, and he knows his guy's going to get it, and he knows where to put it. Yes. Um, and so to have those two guys is, like, unbelievably perfect. You look at a completely different offense. You look at what the, the Dolphins have done with Tua, where, like, Tua's not really a jump ball thrower. He's not necessarily a guy who's going to be aggressive down the field unless you absolutely make him. But he's very, very good at leading for yards after the catch. And that's what they've designed their entire offense to do with Jalen Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill. So I think just understanding like what exactly is your quarterback good at and giving them the tools to giving them the receivers that actually make sense for, for what they do, I think 
um, is perfect. I mean, even another example, like Justin Herbert, like him yes. having just huge skyscrapers at literally every position for a guy who can just rocket it in and pinpoint the ball exactly on whatever shoulder or whatever he wants. I mean, it just makes sense, right, to, to have him pay those guys the way that they've done. So I think just understanding exactly what your quarterback does and trying to fit the offense to him, I think, makes the most sense. I would put these into like two different buckets outside of the synergy, which I think is a very good point. I think you have teams where there are a bevy of options and you give your quarterback selections. And like Mm -hmm. the 2017 Rams are like that, right? Like the 2017 Rams, if you look at the target distribution, it's actually pretty fascinating. So like the 2017 Rams are a really good example. This number is actually very fun. No one on that team got more than 18.4% of the targets. Cooper Cup was number one in target share at 18.4. Todd Gurley was number two. At 17.1. Todd Gurley had 64 catches for 788 yards that season. And there, it was, well, screens, and it was all the play action check downs. And I I refer to this all the time. And just rumbling down the sideline, like with nobody around him. I loved it. Uh, That's why it's burned into my brain. Just beautiful. But that he (laughs) was second. Woods was at 16.7, and Sammy Watkins was 13.7. So we're just totally distributed all over the place. For the and then another couple of good examples of that, like uh, the Cowboys in 2016, Beasley was at 20 percent, Dez was at 20 percent, Witten was at 20 percent. So you have right. some of these teams where it's like, okay, we just have options, which yeah. that, there's value in that. There and is. I think that the 2019 Bills were kind of like that, which is that was the John Brown, Cole Beasley Bills teams before yeah. they got Stephon Diggs, where spam choice routes to Beasley just over <laughs> and, and, and over. Just, and go balls to John Brown. Like that was yeah. the offense. And so yeah. that that's like an intermediate step. And then yeah. the other one is you have like either one guy or two guys that this is the option I can go to whenever I want. Right. Right. So there, there are a ton of examples of this. Oh, another good example for the equal distribution, the 2012 Seahawks was a uh, golden Tate and Sydney rice. Just like <laughs> that's right. e- equal <laughs> options. Golden Tate. I remember as being like, a slot player, and that's what he was late in his career. In Seattle that season in 2012, Russ's rookie year, Golden Tate finished ninth in air yards per attempt in the NFL. Watch it, baby. He was just behind Randy Moss and just ahead of A.J. Green. That's funny. So stylistically, <laughs> some players change over time. Golden Tate's right. one of those guys. But you look at some of these other examples, and there are a lot of these teams where they just had the one guy. You go back to, we remember the late years of Cam throwing a Kelvin Benjamin and how much of a nightmare that was. He had Steve Smith in in 2011. Steve Smith had a 25% target share that year. He had 79 catches for 1,400 yards. Okay, we already (laughs) talked about Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. You go to uh, the Chiefs, obviously. You know, they had Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Between Kelsey and Hill, they had a 50% combined target share that year for Patrick Mahomes. So I think that having either a full group that you can throw to, or at least one guy, maybe two guys are like, these are my dudes. This is, this happens often. This happens in almost every single one of these cases. Really the only time it hasn't happened is when you have a team that's built a little bit differently and you can lean on the run game as Mm -hmm. a way to buy time. So Derek, when you were talking about the Bengals, that's what it makes me think about is that era of the Bengals, the go ball era, was buying time to get Joe Burrow where he needed to get to, right? And we've seen this over time. And there, the one other way specifically that I think some of these teams have bought time is they've been dominant running the ball, okay? Mm-hmm. The Panthers were the number one rushing team by DVOA in the NFL during Cam's rookie year, and the quarterback has something to do with that. The Ravens were the number one rushing team in the NFL, Lamar's rookie year. The quarterback had something to do with that. 
and the Seahawks in, in Russ's second season and I believe his first season they were number one in the league in rushing DVOA. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have like the guys, you better have a way to kind of protect your quarterback, insulate him, and make things easier on him. It's like one of those two different options. Yeah, and I think with that, like I think when people imagine the argument of like, oh, you need a strong running game to help out the quarterback, it's like just for the sake of getting yards and being and having another way to move down the field. But it's not really that to me. To me, it's more like you're putting yourself in more advantageous down and distances and you're protecting your quarterback from third and seven or whatever. Like Jared Goff on the Rams is like the ultimate example of this to me where like the way they ran the ball, especially in 2017, 2018, like they were obviously very efficient doing it, but it helped keep Jared Goff out of these like detrimental third and sevens where like, that's just where he plays his worst ball. He's really good on first, on first down, like easy second downs. Like he'll get the ball where it needs to go. But like third down, when you pressure him, like you're going to get some issues. But they were so good at avoiding those scenarios or when they were getting into third down, it was third and three. And it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe they could still run the ball. And because maybe they can still run the ball, it makes it easier to throw the ball as opposed to when you're in third and nines all the time. It's just really, really difficult. I mean, like you even look at um, 2021 with uh, with that class, the Bears, the Jets and the Jaguars were all top 13 in the volume of third and, and like fourth down. Uh, seven plus yard plays that they had to do obviously all those guys yeah all those guys just had a lot of third and longs because it was just they their offenses weren't very talented they couldn't run the ball that well it was really hard for them the Patriots on the other hand were bottom five by volume in those amount of plays and who had the best rookie year out of all those quarterbacks it's a great Mac Jones because it was just he just had an easier I mean he obviously played well but he just had like he was more consistently in these favorable situations where it was easier for him to do that so for me that's that's the value really of the run game. It's like, sure, getting into play action is nice. Sure, moving down the field is nice. But it's really just keeping them out of these brutal down and distances where you're going to get the rookie moments, where you're going to get your rookie mistakes. I think that's, that's a great the, point. It's the hard shit. Third long. Yes. The hard, yes. It's the hardest down and distance. And that's why we freak. Last year, the Chiefs and the Bills were like doing that, like a 50% clip. You know, just the ridiculous numbers on that. And guess who those quarterbacks are? Yes. It's, <laughs> Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It's, they, it's they why Justin Herbert's that. rookie year was so incredible because he yes. had a bunch of third and longs and it didn't matter. Absolutely. Like he was just so incredible Launch. at it that it, it didn't matter. And that was when it was like, oh, this guy is clearly different that he can just walk in and kind of cheat code and, and just be that good <laughs> right. already at this thing that nobody else is supposed to be good at. We're talking about, I think, two different versions of how rushing success can help you. They're a team, the Rams are a good example of this. Yes. In 2017, when the Rams were dropped into that Sean McVay offense, they, where do you think they ranked in early down pass frequency? Oh, 20th. First. Whoa. Number one. Bunch of play action and screens, I imagine. What? Number action. one. Yeah. And I yeah. was shocked by that because yeah, in my head, wow. it's like, oh, it's this run heavy offense. Balanced. They really they yeah. leaned on that. They kind of put the training wheels on. It was yeah. first. But like Derek's talking about, it was easy completions. Oh, yeah. They're, they're making the game easy on the quarterback. Money plays. And then the other one that I was really surprised by, the Panthers were ninth in early down pass frequency in Cam's rookie year. You imagine them as this, this bulldozer yeah. sort of team, and that's not how they were. There are a couple examples on the other side, though. The Seahawks were in the bottom quarter of the league, Russ's rookie year. They really kind of leaned on the run game. And then the Cowboys during Dak's rookie year were a bottom quarter of the league team. So it's not just that we have to have tons of rushing volume and efficiency. There are different ways to skin this cat if you have an efficient run game. 
No, that, that's because even Goff under what was a Mike Rowe and Chris Winkie in, in his first year as the offensive <laughs> play caller. I don't remember. Jesus. I know. I know. <laughs> I had to look it up. And that offense is it, it's honestly and I, I try to be nice about everything. It's probably the worst offense I've ever seen. It, it's, it really it's in is. the conversation. It, the other entries bad, into that are the Josh Rosen Cardinals. Uh, the that, Bears year. Um uh, with uh, under what's his face under John Fox, they had one year that was pretty pretty atrocious too. Yeah, that, that there are a couple of good examples, but the Rams in 2016 are definitely up near the top and, of the league. And that was a that offense was stuck in. And this is kind of the mo on Jeff Fisher and kind of his philosophy on football. It's kind of a lot of stuff was stuck in 2002. Yeah, like this worked. Mm-hmm. We're going to be a smash mouth offense to help our quarterback. So what I'm saying is. Go to the next year, even with that pass frequency stat, is that that was a still a run centric offense, but it was modernized. It was eleven mm-hmm. personnel. It was all the motion. It was a Shanahan offense, which became the meta of the NFL. So it was a kind of that was the edge that they had, and that's what just having that kind of edge as far as modernizing the game could be the same thought process of what we want to get to, but understanding it through a modern lens. And understanding the play action, the screens working off the play action, all those plays look the same. That helps a quarterback so much. How much was no huddle and going to the line and and McVay's telling them to play to check into like because they got to the line so quick. That matters. That helps. Yeah. That yeah. really does. Really helps the Eagles uh, and Wentz's second year. I having the edge with the RPO offense. I, I was just yes. about to bring that up. That there, was such an edge over everybody else. There are little tiny advantages. If you can be one step ahead into evolutionarily, what yep. that does for your young quarterback. Again, it's just it buys you time. The Eagles Absolutely with the is. RPOs, the yep. Rams with the 11 personnel type formation stuff along with all the jet motion. That year in, 20, in 2018, Jared Goff had 75 dropbacks with jet motion. No other team in the league had more than 40. Yeah. Because they're just in their own didn't zip want to code. Do it. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to do it before. Everyone was like, oh, it changes the picture. And then everyone realized, well, we got to learn how to do it because it really, really helps our offense. But being able to first one through the door sometimes really, really helps being being the one that's on the edge. And thinking about two more examples here of guys that they bought time with unique offenses built around them. Cam with the Panthers, obviously. Yep. Lamar Jackson in 2019. Yes. And what Jalen Hurts has done. It yep. just is such a huge help. And Lamar is really, if we want to put a bow kind of on the pass catcher thing, is the only one that didn't really have any receivers of any kind. I mean, Mark Andrews was there. That was it. Every other person, even teams that are built in specific ways like those Panthers teams were, they still had Steve Smith. Lamar Mm -hmm. is really the only guy who has done this without a real threat on the outside. Everybody else had one. Like Even Alshon Jeffrey was on the Eagles you know, right. they're during Carson Wentz's second year. So it is almost a non-negotiable thing where you have to have at least one big time, often two receivers in order to work through this first couple of years successfully. You don't want Darnell Mooney to be your leading target getter? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm feeling much better than I did a year ago. Yes. Much, oh much, much better than well, that, I did a year we're ago. We're talking about synergy. DJ Moore, talk about synergy with a guy. DJ mm-hmm. Moore has synergy with Justin Fields, and that's why I'm so excited for that. That is a... Vertical X, which is what I've been screaming for for two years for the Bears to get. It's interesting looking at the teams that could draft a quarterback this year, right? Because I think for the most part, these teams are closer 
to those in a best case scenario, those like 2017, 2018 Rams teams. The Texans almost on purpose, it seems like they went out and got Robert Woods. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they got Woods, Nico Collins, Mechie, Dalton Schultz. So it's like, all right, in the best case scenario, this can be one of those teams where we have enough options, even if there mm-hmm. are no stars. The Colts have Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Isaiah McKenzie, yep. same kind of deal. And the Panthers are to me a really good example of this, right? Where DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst. No elite players, but it all makes sense though together when you think about the plan. And I think that may be the lasting legacy of those Rams teams is no stars, but God did the pieces fit together. You totally understood what they were trying to do. And I think that's the optimistic spin on some of these teams that could draft one. That was that 2018 Rams dropping in Cook's Okay, we got a true X, yeah, that's with right. a true Z, that's and right. a true, two, two Z, in and out Zs, you know, with Woods and Cup. It was like, I mean, that all was, was beautiful. It's exactly how you want to build your receiving room. Uh, yeah, no, uh, this is why if they are a team that goes for them, like, kind of excited to see if like someone the Raiders do take a guy yes. because they got some ideal dudes to throw to <laughs> for a young quarterback. But um, also, this is my little bow on this is well. Also, I want to give a little shout out to Greg Roman for not only doing it with Lamar but Colin Kaepernick as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco, just understanding what your guys are and how what they throw and what they're good at. But my bow on this is that this is my argument going from shit to not shit is, you know, Trevor Lawrence, sometimes just getting to a B level receiving room or pass catching room. When you're at a D, a D plus, a C minus, it's still a huge improvement. Trevor Lawrence is the ideal version of that. It's like, yes, now they got even better guys with Calvin Ridley coming <laughs> coming down this year. But last year, going from just terrible to passable to true starting level guys with Kirk and Ingram and, and Zay Jones, it's you see the improvement so much because the room for error has grown. Just even if it's a, a marginal room for error growth, it still is growth. And that helps so much with these guys. Derek, any other receiver notes before we get to our next one here? Uh, the last one I would say is like the, the 2016 Rams were, were another good example of that where they were throwing to like Brian Quick and uh, <laughs> Kenny Britt. And I don't even remember the name. Of I the think tight Brand- end. They threw wasn't like Brandon Lloyd on that to. team. Oh, my goodness. Dude, he might have been. They also had some tight end who like I don't remember now. Oh, no. Brandon Lloyd was like retired by that. passes. So I'm remembering mm-hmm. I remembering a different St. Louis Rams team where Brandon Lloyd got a ton of the targets. That was the mm-hmm. back half of the 2011 oh. season. Oh, we could bring in Sam Bradford oh, discussion. Yes. Let's just bring him in. Let's talk, let's talk about his pass catchers that he had. Brandon Lloyd in 11 games, okay, with the Rams in 2011 in Sam Bradford's second year. I knew I'd remember this for a reason. He had 117 targets. Brandon Lloyd. In 11 games. Tar- so 10 targets a game. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's incredible. We're like that, a very it, fine receiver. It's, again, when you're in the deep end sometimes with this, I remember Jags mm-hmm. fans getting kind of mad at me going like, you really hate our receivers. They're not that bad. I'm like, well, you got to look at the other teams and see what they got, man. And then you see what the baseline actually is. Mm-hmm. It's, you don't really know when you're in the thick of things. Because he got <laughs> trade. The, they traded for him midseason. He got oh there mid, like four games into the year. And, and it just it Just hit the ground running. Ten <laughs> targets a game after coming midseason. That's how you know that your pass catching room is in a terrible shape. Yeah. Is when you yes. trade for a guy and immediately he's a ten target a game he's player for you. Oh, my amazing. God. That's an absolute nightmare. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about what Nate really wants to talk about here, and that's the offensive lineman. Nate, as you've dug through the recent history of these guys and the type of offensive lines with the type of personnel that we're looking at, what was your main takeaway? It, and offensive, and this is a believer of a belief of mine that I'll have because I think with quarterback play, it not only helps them, it helps these guys grow and do the right thing. And that's why I think having a strong offensive line, not only just because like run game stuff and like we've talked about staying on schedule and something you can rely on when things get tough throwing the ball, but just even like working from the pocket, which so many of these quarterbacks have to do is, yes, most quarterbacks only have a couple clean pockets a game, a half dozen to 10 a game, but that doesn't matter. It's just having manageable pockets where you are working on the pocket movement. You are working on being able to progress. Functional pockets. Yes, Mm -hmm. functional pockets so you can do the right thing. Um, And that's what is something that I I always will harp on because I've seen proof in both ways of this working and not working for guys. They have more time to progress on things, find checkdowns. Actually, when they're throwing the ball, they're not getting tackled as they throw the ball or getting whacked, and those hits add up. So It also just prevents bad habits from forming. Yes. Happy feet. Eyes coming down and looking at the pass rush instead of working downfield, which is if you want to look what happened with Zach Wilson the last last year, you saw so much with him where his eyes are coming down. He looks at one and his eyes come down, and that is that's a bad ha- that's a hard habit to break. It really is. As someone that had that habit at times as a quarterback, it's a really hard habit to break because you have to trust what's happening around you. But it, being able to step up, maneuver, and all that. The examples of good I've had with this is both Eagles, recent Eagles quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz. Both of those guys had some strong offensive lines that helped them drop back when they needed to drop back. If you like, this was some of the things and why I've hedged somewhat uh, a little bit on Hurts, but he did outplay what I did think he could. Is because I watched those pockets that he operates from. It's really nice to be able to step up on every single throw and launch whatever you want to launch. Well, just have hang to out back there. Just hang out. Yeah, you don't even around. have to hitch if you don't want to. You <laughs> just do yeah, you just want. fake scramble. <laughs> like, do whatever you want. That really helps. Um, the Mac Jones example that Derek brought up. Mac Jones, during success during his rookie year, he had a strong offensive line. He really did. with a, And also a conducive offense to help out with both his skill set and that offensive line. And another historical example, I should say. I love I get to say historical from – like, because now I'm getting old, is Matt Matt Ryan when he came into the league. He had a, that Falcons offensive line was very good, and he had a uh, pass catchers Roddy White that, before they dropped in Julio as well. But that offensive line was really strong, and it had a run first mindset that we just talked about as well. I meant to actually bring this up, but that was uh, those examples of good that let him grow and hit the ground running. I mean, he was rookie of the year, obviously, but he well, had remember they had they drafted Sam Baker that year. They had two yes. first round picks two that year, and they drafted yep. Sam Baker as their as their yes. left tackle. And Todd yep. McClure was already there. Yes, 
Yes, and, and I they, know. And so they signed Michael Turner in free agency. I mean, they it, needed so much to improve that infrastructure the, that offseason. The famous play, and Falcons fans know this, is Matt Ryan's first ever pass attempt was a yeah. touchdown, the long touchdown. Watch the play on it. It's a play action with a beautiful pocket that he gets to throw from, but that is exactly what he got to go through. So he got to work on his habits and work on those stuff that you want to grow. So I think uh, what the what the what do you want to see the signs of growth that you want to see from these quarterbacks. So that is those are those types of conduce it's conducive to success because it lets you get to those habits. And that's why I brought up and I'm not knocking that you don't need receivers. You do. You need pass catchers. It's just that that's why I think you can add them secondary. Uh, in the team building process for these quarterbacks, because like I said, it's the donut on the bat. But now the offensive line actually gets into those habits, and then you can throw the ball. You, it's hard to throw the ball on your back, <laughs> and so these guys let you do that. By the way, that list of twelve guys or eleven guys that have had at least a third of their team's targets in a single yep. season: Roddy White during Matt Ryan's rookie year. Boom! There's <laughs> that another one. Out. There, yep. that was another one. I mean, because you got to think they before the Mike Vick dogfighting scandal is that team was built to win. Like they, that team yeah. was really, they were all the way there to being close to a contender when Petrino came in, it was the year from hell. But then, so those guys don't leave. It's not like the year from hell happened and they were like, oh, all the other guys leave. So they were built. And then Matt Ryan just, now they just get a top five pick and boom, let's just drop this guy in there. And boom, now they go right to success. That's why they had all those playoff runs early in his career. Derek, what do you got for me? What's your main offensive line takeaway? The center, man. The center is is, yeah. is everything. Uh, like obviously, having a generally good offensive line like the Eagles have had with their guys is, is a help. But like Jason Kelsey, hit, being him being one of the best and smartest centers in the league, I think he went did a it long twice. way. Yeah, he's done it twice. There's very clear evidence, and with two very rubs. different quarterbacks. Like they're both mobile, but Wentz wasn't as much of a design guy. He was more like. We kind of need to figure out what to do with him in the passing game. How is he going to, like, can we get him to set protections and all that stuff? And I think Kelsey helped a lot in that sense. You get with Hurts, he does all of that. But also, he gets to do stuff in the run game that, like, probably only one or two other centers in the entire league would have allowed Jalen Hurts to do. Right. Which I think has gone a long way. But, like, you just look at so many of these other examples. Um, Dak Prescott inheriting Travis Frederick. Um, year two of Derek Carr, they signed Rodney Hudson. Year yes. two of Josh Allen, they signed Mitch Morse. Yep. Uh, Russell Wilson. And Mitch Morse, who was with Patrick Mahomes during Patrick yes. Mahomes' first season as a starter. Yes, exactly. Another guy exactly. who's done this twice. <laughs> Another guy who's done this twice. He, and then he went to Arizona and helped out Kyler a little bit. And they were yes. clearly better at setting protection and stuff. Yep. So, like, there, there's this... I don't think every quarterback necessarily needs it because I think there are a couple of... You get rare examples of guys who are so smart when they come in that it doesn't matter. Like like Andrew Luck probably could have done it with anybody. Joe Burrow came into the league and it didn't matter who his center was. Yeah. He was just so smart that that yeah. was kind of his superpower anyway. Yep. But with most of these guys, the transition is really, really difficult. And when you have an offensive lineman, specifically a center, who can really help you understand the protections, help you set them on game day and like help you understand and study out of game day... That just goes such a long way in getting these guys prepared coming from most of these uh, college offenses. Like, it just – it does so much. Absolutely. I, I'm a huge believer in that. So, like, yes. I am as that, well. I, We've talked I, about I, that a lot, Nate. I mean, yes. it, it's, it was why the, the Bears plan over the last couple of years was so frustrating to me. Yes. That's my counterexample. And, and, yes. Fields. It's, it's <laughs> and, well, obviously, they tried to bring in Lucas Patrick this year in order to kind of alleviate some of that. And then he gets hurt immediately because yep. that's just how my life seems to work. But if you look at their history of it, there are so many examples of this. Cam, Ryan Khalil was there. Russell Wilson, Max Unger was there. Yes. Jared Goff in 2016 or 2017 
it wasn't a big name guy, but they brought in John Sullivan. You remember that? John yeah. Sullivan came he in. Was he was awesome. like 32 years old. Yeah. And it was just a like a call. really good presence for them. Carson Wentz obviously had Kelsey. Dak had Travis Frederick. Mahomes with Mitch Morse. Uh, Deshaun again. Uh, the offensive line situation in Houston those first couple of years was not fantastic. So he's an example on the other side of this. You know, Lamar was Matt Skura in 2019, but Marshall Yonda was there. Yeah, you know, they they had so many pieces right. along that offensive line. And they were kind of th- that offense is just like we're calling it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's no yes. real adjustments. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just That's saying. That's another like, good, good example. It's where but, it's not as important necessarily. Yeah. Culpepper had Matt Burke. Yep. Like it, it's there's a lot of these guys <laughs> that it, it, it helps so much. I mean. Peyton talks about his work with Jeff Saturday yeah. all the time. And mm-hmm. like he, because Peyton was always in control, but he said that the fact that there's never a miscommunication with him and Saturday was like that helps everybody play fast. They spoke each other's language. I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer that the center is so important for these guys. And then Justin Herbert got Corey Lindsley his second year. So he didn't. Right. Was- and like that's even an example where like even the guys who are already good, it does a lot for it them. Helps. Like Justin yeah. Herbert proved as a rookie. You could have probably put anybody at center and he would be fine. <laughs> but they went out and they were like, we're going to get everything to make sure we're getting yep. 100% of Justin Herbert's brain and comfort out there in the pocket. And they didn't. He's been a top three, four quarterback in the yep. league since then. The Colts try to do that with Kelly, with yeah. Luck. Yeah. They they try. And I, I, I was all about it. I, I was like, I understand that thought process totally. And Ryan Kelly's still there. You know, they said yep. that he's mm-hmm. going to be there. And I, I his play was not last. Last year was not commensurate to where it was in years past but i guarantee you part of their thought process is if we're going to drop a young guy in here having somebody who can speak a language (laughs) and really help him along is going to be really important you're paying a premium a little bit for that even if he's probably not the player on field that he was when he got that contract extension so it's such an important position man and i think i think we i'm glad derek brought this up because uh, it's something we've talked about robert but i think people are catching on how important that is especially how complicated defenses are now yeah it's just that's what these guys just help everything run. It's a force multiplier, whatever term you want to use. They have such an effect in letting – you can have the most talented offensive line, and the center gets you going in the – it's not like a guard will overrule a center and go, not all the time, sometimes, once in a while, but a guard will go, oh, no, that's wrong, John. No, no, we're not going to the to the light, to 54 there. The center gets everyone going to the right direction. So if you have a guy that lets everyone play fast, it just unlocks so much for an offense. That's why it's fun, like the idea of a team – Dra- the Lions drafting a quarterback and Ragnow being there yes. or oh, the Panthers yeah. re-signing Bradley Bozeman. Like it, yep. Having that guy, I think, is a really important part of this. I think it's underrated. I- I've always believed that. And I think, again, my team not doing anything about it was massively frustrating <laughs> over the last couple of years. So I-, I see your center point, Derek, and I raise you left tackle. Okay. <laughs> And I, side is important. And I and I don't I don't honestly know center. I can understand like the cause and effect functionality of it. With left tackle, I don't necessarily know if it's a well because he protects the blind side of the quarterback. This is really like that's how it works. This might be accidental or coincidental uh, in a way that we're not really talking about. But it there is alignment, and I, I we can go through <laughs> it if you want to. Okay, Cam Newton had Jordan Gross. Mm-hmm. Russell will, Jordan Gross was on the last year of his deal, so. Offensive line spending on a lot of these teams are not near the top of the league. So that was one of the other takeaways that I have. It's not like all these teams are top five in offensive line spending. The Eagles are the outlier here because a lot of these guys have been veterans. You know, Jason Peters will get to. They, they were spending a lot even in 2017. But for the most part, these teams aren't. But that's often because of rookie contracts somewhere. Yeah. Right? So, like... That's the trade-off. The, the, the Cowboys had two first-round picks that were on rookie deals. You know, the Rams... 
they didn't spend a lot to go get John Sullivan. They got Andrew Whitworth on a fairly cheap deal. They had Havenstein on a rookie contract at that point. So mm-hmm. it, there's investment. It's just not a lot of cap dollars overall. So I think that's an important point to mention. But you keep going back to the left tackles. Jason Peters with Carson Wentz. Andrew Whitworth coming to the Rams with Jared Goff was there. Yep. Dak Prescott had Tyron Smith. Deshaun Watson, also another example that didn't have anybody. It was Julian <laughs> Davenport in his first full year as a starter. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about play callers, too. And it's like, Deshaun Watson, man, he overcame a lot. Yeah, he, 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 re- he really, really did. His first couple okay. of years. Mahomes had Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Lamar Jackson had Ronnie Stanley. Josh Allen had Deion Dawkins. And Nate, like you and I talk about, as long as you're getting over a certain bar, that's the bar you need to get over. And Deion Dawkins clears that bar. Millennial Donald Penn, man. That's, that's, that's what he is. Joe Burrow had Jonah Williams. Even with yeah. the rest of that... Just, horrendous offensive line his second season. He still had Jonah Williams, who was a capable offensive tackle. Justin Herbert had nothing. That is another impressive thing for Justin Herbert, but they got Rayshon Slater in year two. And then Trevor Lawrence had Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor over those first couple years, which again, those guys clear that bar. So it really like almost every single guy has a tackle or two. Yeah. So it's almost a non-negotiable thing. Like every single one of these success stories there are at least two to three above average starters along the offensive line, and they often are at left tackle and center. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, just like, yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah. is because this is like, this is my team building, like, my philosophy, anyways, you know, my fake one as I sit here on a podcast. That's, but it's, it's, it's what I believe in, though. Like, you're yeah. crushing it, buddy. I know. Thank you so much. Uh, I know someone, someone said that. Uh, so I'm sorry. This is a personal thing, but someone tweeted yesterday. It's like, no one's look. There was a Twitter argument in my my replies. I was not a part of it, but someone said teams aren't looking at Nate Tice because he's not drafting these guys. He's just putting out takes on Twitter. And I did the Jurassic Park lawyer gif where he's like, Th- "Thank you." Like, <laughs> the only one that agrees with me is the blood sucking lawyer. Th- yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. But uh, no, I, I'm a big believer in this, it, it, especially with the tackle tube. Is I think. Why left tackle and why blind side? And yes, right tackles become even more and more important because of how defenses are putting their best pass rusher over the right tackle and stuff. But having that left tackle, it, it just, you don't have to provide chip help. Yeah. You don't have yes. to, all the receivers can, or running backs can get out into the pass. It just has that trickle down effect that that's what these guys do and having talent at positions. Also, even if you have a shoddy left guard, it can help that. Like you're working on double teams. Well, yeah. if you have a dude at left tackle, it doesn't matter who's next to Trent Williams. Trent Williams is going to bury a guy like because he's going to handle all of it. So that all that stuff just helps because it has that trickle down and making everybody else's life easier. So the the flexibility was going to be my my point because like obviously you know feeling safe from your blind side is huge, but like just the flexibility of what your offense can do in terms yeah. of protections, when and how you can get guys out, how you're aligning all that stuff like. Really helps when you have a left tackle who can just, I mean, like the Rams. Uh, I think the Rams are like an example of basically all this. Yeah. But with Andrew Whitworth, it was like you could run any protection you wanted. You could chip however you wanted away from him because you knew whoever you put against Andrew Whitworth was not going to get to Jared Goff. Exactly. And that's why this idea of the Texans trading Laramie Tunsil when they were going to draft a quarterback and with the second overall yes. pick was always crazy to me. It's like, no, that he's the most important part of what you're going to do here. Right. You need him. Them trading cooks. I still think that there's an argument for wanting him to be a part of the infrastructure you're trying to build for your quarterback, but he was unhappy. There was a lot of other yeah. factors going on there, but the Tunsil thing, I was like, 
If they want to trade him, I'll take him. But I, I don't think that's a good idea when you have all the resources that right, they have. Right. And and that's like he's harder to replace. Like at least with Cooks, you could get him out of there, and like you can. He's a good player, but you can more reasonably can find a receiver yes. who can give you that. Yeah. You're not going to find another top five all, left tackle. All pro left like, tackle. Yes, like, are you like, the best player not in the gonna happen. position? A perennial yes, yes. all pro. Yes. Top, top th- he's on the podium every single year. <laughs> that, that's, yes. that's all you need. Derek, you made a point, though, that I think is worth bringing up. I, maybe it's not something that where your light bulb is going off because you think about this all the time. But for other people, I think it's worth bringing up. That feeling of safety. I've talked I've I find this entire subject so fascinating. And it's one of the things I ask coaches about and personnel people about more than almost anything else. It's like, all right, how do we get this guy from point A to point B? Like what are the what are the aspects of this? And the word that comes up over and over again when you're having this discussion with people in the NFL is trust. It's trust. So with the pass catchers, what's what Stefan Diggs did for Allen. Do you have a guy that you can trust? And just let that thing fly. Jamar Chase, just think about those Bengals teams. That's real. Think about what A.J. Brown was for Jalen Hurts this year. That trust is created. If you trust your left tackle, it changes the way that you operate as a quarterback. The best example I can think of, and I remember talking to somebody about this. might have been somebody with the Colts or just another coach when it happened. Remember in 2020 when Anthony Costanzo got hurt? And the Colts had to sign Jared Valdir to play left tackle for them? (laughs) You could see... Rivers change. I mean, this is a guy who had seen more football than anybody can even imagine. And you could see how his demeanor playing the position changed, even going from a player that was a solid left tackle in Anthony Costanzo to a guy they signed off the street. And for a guy like that, who's played for 20 years, for that to affect him, think about what it means for a young quarterback who's just scared shitless back there all the time anyway, and how different it is to feel the game when you have a guy there that you trust. Like, I think that is such a huge thing. And that's why maybe it is a causal thing for these left tackles. But I think it's important to bring up, Derek, even it's something that you think about all the time. I think even a good example for that is just last year with um, Tua. Like, I think Tua, yeah. his first couple of years in the league, his pocket presence was was not good. Um, he, he really struggled to move up a lot of the times. He didn't seem like he was comfortable. I wouldn't want to either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It just wasn't very fun to do it. And he's not a quarterback who's like good at throwing when his like platform is crowded in front of him because he's a little shorter. Like that's just not really his game. You could tell this year with the way they upgraded the offensive line and it still wasn't fantastic. It still had its flaws in a lot of ways. But like between the offensive line and how well Mike McDaniel set up the protections to be yes. good and comfortable for him. He was in a completely different world in terms of how willing he was to step up in the pocket, stand in there, make really tough throws. Like that, I think, is a really good recent example of what it looks like for a guy who getting just a little bit more help, especially on your blind side. And even though Armstead didn't play every game, like it just kind of changed the profile of what Tua can be. Um, And then on the other end, you get uh, a guy like Lamar Jackson, who like. I think his pocket management is unbelievable. Like he, he's so fantastic at being able to stay in, being able to move, throw a tight platforms, all that. These past couple of years when the offensive line has deteriorated around him, we've seen a player who we know has great pocket presence just completely want to bail and leave the pocket because he just doesn't trust anything that's going on around him, yeah. both in terms of the players and the protection plan. So it's just like, I think that comfort, like you're saying, that trust in the guys around you are going to protect you. Even if you have to take hits in some tight pockets, you know they're giving you enough space to do it. That little bit of difference, it's so hard to like quantify. Yeah. But man, it matters. And when you see a quarterback play that way, you can really feel it. I mean, another 
historic, I mean, our, our veteran example from last year is look what happens when the Bucks' offensive line falls apart and Tom Brady. Yes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. Tom Brady is not stepping into anything because he's like, F this. I'm in my mid 40s. I can't take these. Yeah. <laughs> Donovan Smith is getting another holding penalty. Like, you know, the center is snapping the ball all over the place. Like, you can see even the guy, you know, the goat, you know, struggling at times and like not feeling comfortable. And I love your Tua example because you could just see the, the rhythm come back for Tua. Everything was mm-hmm. so much more in rhythm. You watched this Bucks offense last year, even with the guy, Tom Brady, nothing was in rhythm with that offense. And it's not like, it's not like Tom Brady just loses it. You know, there's, it's not like he just loses that magic. So what happened? Well, you know, losing your center, lo- trading Shaq Mason, losing another guard to free agency, Donovan Smith having the worst year of his career. Yeah, that's not going to really be conducive to success, even with a guy that started, you know, 200 games in his career. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash Active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While Active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, the last box I want to check here. We'll call this play caller slash overall overall offensive innovation. We, we, we touched on that a little bit when we were talking about the RPOs and some of these schematic yeah. advantages the teams had created. But Derek, when you were looking back at some of the play callers and the through lines between them with these guys, what stood out to you? I think obviously having a good, like a generally good play caller is going to help any of these guys. But to me, the biggest example of success stories were the guys who... When they came into the league, it was very clear that they were going to need some sort of like adaptation to the normal NFL standard or meta to make them work. Um, and the guys who figured that out, like the coaches who helped figure that out, I think are the coolest stories. Like um, Lamar Jackson, obviously, like when he came into the league, the way they like turned into this pistol gun running yeah. 12 and 13 personnel offense, it was so like... It was a George. It was like a Georgia Tech version of what you want would do in the NFL, and it was incredible. And he their offensive coordinator the year before was Marty Morningwick. Yes, <laughs> like, old school. They, yes, they went from a guy who was yes, and like they completely went into um, embracing what Lamar Jackson could be, and it helped him after his rookie year, like doing that as a rookie, and then into his second year. It really helped him grow into this player and passer who is now, I think, one of the best pocket passing players in the league. But it helped buy him that time, kind of like you mentioned earlier, to get there. It was, it was like a segue. Uh, another good example, like Carson Wentz, like you mentioned with the RPO stuff, they were kind of on the forefront of really incorporating that stuff yes. into yeah. uh into the NFL. And I think they were really good at that. And then I think they really embraced like gun dropback stuff in general, because a lot of what they would do was Carson go back there. One, two, three. If you don't like what you see, run. 
Snag. And they really just yes, the snag. snag. It was just snag a lot over of, and over and over. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. If you don't like it, get out of there. And that's fine because they yeah. had um uh they designed it really well, and then they had a really good offensive line that gave Carson Wentz these outlets to get out of the pocket and just go run for uh whatever he did that year. And I think that helped a lot. Snag is a very basic passing concept for those yes. people in the audience yeah. who don't know what that is. <laughs> so just it's, something they would run all the time. It's a, it's I hitch a flat in a corner. Everybody runs it. Some more than others, though. <laughs> yeah, the, the Peterson the Peterson guys a little bit more than others. <laughs> um, RG three, I think you can go back to. Even. Oh, another, yeah, another that very was, good that example. Was odd, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> of them embracing not even just the um, zone read, but pistol. pistol. Like and, yeah. and teams weren't doing it. Like you got. Uh, around that era, like the the Peyton Manning Broncos were doing it, but that was like a very different. Uh, yeah. That was more just because Peyton wanted to like simulate under center, but he needed to be in the gun because he was an old man. He couldn't move. Yeah, yeah. yeah he couldn't move. <laughs> and Kubiak was like, "We're running zone, goddamn it!" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they had to be in the pistol. We're, let's God. figure this out. <laughs> Innovation is often spurned by people who just don't want to do shit because they're too lazy. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it's spurned by that or or accidents. Like, yes, like yeah. Brett Favre basically inventing the RPO because he was like, "That slant will be open if he runs on that side." Yeah, just shit like that. And then, um, yeah, I think th- those are kind of the most interesting examples to me. Like, there are other good examples of just like normal good coordinators who have helped young guys. But to yeah. me, the most interesting ones where it was like, this guy needs a little bit of you know a, a little bit of help, a little bit of a different flavor. Um, you know, we we just talked about Tua, like them embracing the RPO Alabama offense with him. I think has helped a lot. Yeah. Just those guys where it took a little bit extra, a little bit something different, and teams were willing to embrace it to bridge them to being, you know, normal pocket passers. I, I think that was like. I think that was the biggest thing. I think there are even more examples of that. I mean, what Joe Burrow's offense was early in his time in Cincinnati was like, we're just going to run the LSU shit because we know you That's can. It. And we, yeah, exactly. we, we don't have, we don't have the ability to, to protect anything else. We, so we're just going to let you. We joke about 99. They, they ran out of LSU. It was the same play, yes. like over and over. They just did it again. That's a, a good example to me. Josh Allen. I mean, the amount of RPOs they ran yeah. in Buffalo yeah. and yep. the, the, the Bills. And team, the QB run game. Yes. And the QB run yes. game is a big part of that. Obviously, the yep. QB run game with Cam is a, is a huge part of that yep. when he got there. You know, I don't think that Rob Chazinski was necessarily a QB run heavy guy in the years <laughs> before Cam Newton arrived. But the the one that the Josh Allen Bills are such an interesting case study in this entire exercise because with a lot of these, it's like, okay, one year we feel the catalyst, right? It's either good immediately or like in year two, all of these reinforcements come and it all clicks into place. Trevor Lawrence being a very good example, right? Yeah. Year one is awful. Year two, it clicks into place. We get Doug Peterson. We get some better pass catchers. We're off to the races. The Rams are, again, we talked, we've talked, mentioned this. The Rams are the same thing. McVay comes in year two. Woods, Cup, Whitworth, we're off to the races. The Bills weren't like that. Like, the Bills' changes didn't come all at once. The first year, obviously, the receivers are, you can't even name them. I mean, it was just like, what was that guy's name? Robert Foster. Robert, yeah. Robert Foster yeah. was like the best player on the 2018 Bills. It was, it was only because uh, uh, Dable coached him at Alabama. That was that was it. It was like, I'm oh, drafted right. free agent. Sure, bring him in. Bring that, him in. <laughs> that's where we were at with the 2018 Bills. And then in 2019, yeah. you bring in John Brown and Cole Beasley. Yeah. But then in 2020, it's the Diggs thing along with the schematic transformation that they underwent. I mean, yep. Pat DeMarco has told me the story where they got to spring ball that year and Dable just comes with like a new stack of stuff that they had never done before. He's just like, the offense is different now. And so watching them do it sequentially like that, 
that's interesting as a case study and a potentially an optimistic viewpoint for some of these teams that maybe don't have it all right away. It's like you can do it step by step. But for a lot of these other teams, it happened immediately. And and I think yeah. or, or it came in year two with these kind of ideas and tweaks schematically that you're talking about, Derek. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, even not even guys that had a uh, you know, the super successes, but maybe improvement, like a guy like Daniel Jones last year, getting a guy mm-hmm. like Kafka, who was yeah. like, okay, you're good at throwing over routes. Okay, you're good at throwing these couple routes. Okay, let's just spam them. Which, and that's that's kind of what they yeah. did with the Bills with Josh Allen. They're like, okay, you are, you, okay, are you comfortable with everything? No. You're comfortable with these couple things. Okay, let's lean into that and then let's see what we can extrapolate from that. And, uh, you know, the other one too is that, I love that we brought it up already with Lamar and actually what Greg Roman did. And I, I, I mentioned Kaepernick too. And that whole blend of the RG3 with Shanahan using the pistol, using the zone read, but still implementing his play action concepts off of those looks. So it's kind of cool when you – that's like the ultimate example. A guy blending his scheme, the try and true concepts and blending it and modernizing it. And it all happened because when we talked about innovation, because Colin Kaepernick at Nevada used the freaking pistol – because they were trying to get an under center run game, but he couldn't take under center snaps. So they try to figure it out. And then all of a sudden that implements and goes into the league. And I always thought that was just a cool thing. But getting these guys and what they are conducive and what they are good at, like Tannehill is a guy that's always going to stand out in my mind. Tannehill with Adam Gase, they were spread one by three formations, some RPO stuff, but just like all this drop back. You know, it was Adam Gase going like, yeah, you know, Peyton Manning could do this. Let's see you, Ryan Tannehill, <laughs> former wide receiver. Let's see you do this. 20, and then he, 20 quarterback starts into your career. Let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's do right. this, buddy. Yeah, hey, wait. Check the protection. Let's, let's shift everything around. Yeah, no. It was, and then all of a sudden he gets to Tennessee. And Point then, and yeah, shoot, Mar- baby. Oh, yeah. Play action. Stand strong in the pocket and let it rip, buddy. And he's really good at that. Who knew? But it, I didn't know that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you got into a place and a, a scheme that made sense for what they want to do. And like you guys are saying with the QB run concepts, and I think that is why a bar has risen on some of these athletic guys, is some of these play cars are comfortable using the QB run concepts where even 10 years ago, it was like, they only can handle five touches. And now, well, helps when you have a guy like Josh Allen who's 250 and can do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I, it's really cool to see these play callers, these modern play callers implement that more often as opposed to just a gimmick and actually it's a real uh, like staple of their offense it's a floor raiser and it's a time buyer. That, oh, that, yeah. that and, and that's important and as somebody who is heavily invested in this development plan right now <laughs> yeah. I, i've been watching a lot of it up close over the past year and i think that there's a lot of credence to it so along with the the innovation aspects and i think that daniel jones is such a perfect example nate of how important the play caller is in this entire overall yep formula right they didn't have the receivers they have a very good left tackle but yes. the play caller was the transformative part <laughs> yep. of that Two, it's a little bit harder to extricate because they also got Tyreek Hill the same year that they got the play caller but I right. think Mike McDaniel was a very important part of this but with a lot of these guys that have had the success over time in the first three four seasons the stability is mm-hmm. also one of the things I think is the most important almost all of them had the same play caller for three, four seasons at the yeah. start of this entire thing, along with that guy getting a good play caller. The other examples where somebody was hired away, they had a ready-made replacement in the building. The quarterback coach often became the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, so the voices didn't change. First, Cam is the first example of that. Mike Shula was the quarterback's coach. Chizinski gets hired away. Shula is now the co- coordinator. Same voices in his ear. So it always was that. 
But then you go through all these other ones. Daryl Bevel was there for years with Russell Wilson. Years. Mm-hmm. Carson Wentz had Doug Peterson. What that helps with the head coach is the guy. Jared Goff had Sean McVay. Dak Prescott had Scott Linehan and Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore through that entire stretch. Yep. Deshaun Watson had Bill O'Brien. We can talk about whether that's a good or bad thing. Yeah, a, a little bit of both, I guess. <laughs> a little bit of both, yeah. We'll call me. We'll call me. <laughs> Lamar Jackson had Greg Roman, like we've talked yep. about, that nothing changed. Everything was able – you could build on it. Patrick Mahomes obviously has Andy Reid. Josh Allen had Brian Dable for years. Can you imagine if Brian Dable gets hired away after 2018 for, like, whatever reason, and you get a new play caller with Josh Allen or even two years in. It's like, oh, that guy's doing some interesting stuff. Like, and then you have to change it all. They never had to do that. The same is true with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's yeah. had Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan in his ear, and Dan Pitcher, his quarterback's coach. Nothing yeah. has changed for years. The line coach is the same. They've like been able everything. to build on it. And the example counter to this, which, again, every, this exercise made me appreciate what he's done even more. Justin Herbert is not this. He had Steichen year one. Then Change. they go to Joe Barty year three and four, and now he's on play caller number three. So, and combine that with the offensive line, Sam Tevy was his left tackle and the Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp played a thousand snaps. Justin Herbert's rookie year. So Justin Herbert, good player. Good player. (laughs) Just overcome. Very good player. What did they say? Raise, raise everybody around him. Yeah. I think he does that. I I think that's what's a good quarterback does. (laughs) So that's, it brings me to kind of the final consideration here is where these teams that could be drafting quarterbacks fall into this conversation. Okay. The Panthers, they have Frank Reich. Yes. Right. So like they are, they're set like that. He's going to be there. The the stability, I think quality, not a lot of questions going on there. If I'm blaming what happened on the Colts last season, it's the quarterback falling apart and the offensive line, the bottom falling out of that. Hey, you have Mr. The Frank Reich truther on this, on the show right now. Oh, that's right. That's right. Derek Derek is Derek's like, I'm a fan, but Derek is a super fan. (laughs) Shane Steichen is with the Colts. Yeah, yes. talking about you know, I love that. Few guys I have more faith in. Let's say they draft Anthony Richardson, him being able yes. to make Anthony Richardson work that what Shane Steichen has done. Texans is interesting, right? We don't know shit about Bobby Slowick. <laughs> you know, maybe he's the next guy in this group and it's going to go great, but it's certainly a question mark now because we've never seen it before. Raiders have Josh McDaniels. And the Lions have Ben Johnson, Seahawks. Shane Waldron's done a pretty solid job, I think, with them, especially yeah. last year when you got to see what he could do without Russ. So. Mm-hmm. The Lions and the Seahawks aren't really worth talking about that much here in terms of which boxes they check, because in my opinion, they check all the boxes. Agreed, so that's yeah. why they're such <laughs> interesting quarterback destinations for me. Yes. Yeah, I know. I would. I want to. Uh, Anthony Richardson with either of those would be be magic. Would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> would be really, really nice and idealistic. But I mean, the Panthers are. You know, we've talked about this is a great situation for whatever guy they if they they stay at number one. Of course, I have to say that, but they are going to. Let's be, let's be honest. Uh, it, is that I think that's such a great situation. Whoever plops in there, I don't care which quarterback they decide. It, it's it, the offensive line, play caller, enough pass catchers. Like this whole episode might as well be like why the Panthers are a good situation to drop a rookie quarterback into. That's basically what they have done. I think for their for whatever guy they th- decide to select. This could be a whole other podcast. But there's one connection point with a lot of these guys that we're talking about here that have been successes, and the Panthers fall into this category as well. How many of these teams actually were picking in the top five? Mm. Okay. The Seahawks got Russell Wilson in the third round. The Eagles traded up for Carson Wentz. The Rams Uh traded up for Jared Goff. The Dak Prescott got taken in the fourth round. The Texans traded up for Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs traded up for Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick. Josh Allen required two trades up. Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert were both taken in the top five. 
Huh. That's not very money actually in the top five. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the Herbert one's a unique one too, because they had, then I mean, typical Chargers, bad luck and everything like that. They already yeah. had somebody, right. but they, they had, had a lot they of had, They had Keenan Allen. They had Keenan yeah, Allen, Hunter Henry, players. and Austin Eckler. They had yeah, players. Yeah, they had players. I know. So that's why that's one, even a unique one too. And even no, that's the Bengals, like, yeah. the, the Bengals had obviously a horrible year, but they had a history of like being a pretty competitive and Good football. That, that's fair. Like the the, most the Bengals. We should learn lessons <laughs> from the Bengals in this exercise. Right. The, all the things that fell fell into place for the Bengals to be able to do this is fucking insane. Like it it's absolutely yeah. insane. And it's it's every good defense for them. Signing working out amazing. Yes, yeah, they did I know. a great yeah. job but, over the last three or four years. For it. Yes, they, exactly. they deserve a lot of credit, but they they are in a different circumstance well, than a lot of these other teams. We were. talk about uh, idealistic situations. How about when Andy Dalton? Became the quarterback with the Bengals. How good that the oh offensive God, line yeah. and the pass Again, catchers were for him. Pick. Second round pick with a great situation around him. Derek Carr, second round pick. Mm-hmm. Like you know that. Uh, yeah, no that that's a very very good point actually. I this is RG3 again got we can get it. For. We got traded. <laughs> we can, we can have a larger conversation about this, but it's kind of an anti tanking thing, where right. mm-hmm. you, if you are so bad that you're actually getting the number one pick, you are going to probably be set up for that quarterback to fail. Right. You really you need to do so much for that to work out. We saw how bad it was in year one for the Jags, and again, oh, yeah. all the things that had to fall in the line for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. But the Panthers, being a team that was picking ninth, but actually was probably better than that last year, they mm-hmm. the beginning of the season was so bad. Steve Wilkes mm-hmm. comes in, they correct course. They're still picking ninth. They trade up, and their circumstances for the guy they're going to draft are yes. much better than a lot of these teams that are pick, typically picking number one overall. So, just. Probably shouldn't have wasted that idea the last five minutes of an hour and 15 minute long show. But I do think it's an interesting consideration when it you're is. thinking about the overall circumstances these guys get dropped into. No, I think so. Because like I had even in my notes kind of listed out like what of these categories that we're talking about does each quarterback specifically need? Because, you know, like we were saying earlier, like did Burrow need a great center? Probably not. But he maybe needed the pass catchers like different guys just need different stuff with the Panthers. No matter which quarterback or which need it is. It's there. Like yeah. the offensive line is going to be fine. I think Frank Reich, in terms of any of the guys that these rookies are walking into, I think is by far the best offensive play caller. I still think even after how bad last year was, I still think he's a top 10 NFL uh, play caller. Like he's just a guy who's going to get the quarterback to understand where the ball needs to go very yep. well. Um, and I think that's going to really help basically any of these young guys. And like that would even be one of my last points is like just, you know, we talked about it with the center, like helping set the protections and and make you feel comfortable with the pocket and stuff having like real quarterback guidance on the coaching staff not just like a you know a quarterback coach who has experience or whatever but with them having a guy like Frank Reich who was an NFL quarterback has experience already you know helping younger quarterbacks or even veteran quarterbacks play better than I think we had previously seen them and then having Josh McCown on staff who like He's very new to this, but he's a very fresh NFL. Like he's very fresh off of being yeah. a quarterback in the league, and yeah. like that type of guidance and veteranship, I think really goes a long way. Like we saw it with, um, I mean, we saw it last year a little bit with the Jaguars and Doug Peterson, but we saw it even with Peterson before. Like we mentioned with Wentz, like they had a billion guys who just had a, a bunch of experience, either playing or, or coaching quarterbacks Including at Frank a high Reich. level. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Frank Frank was he's done this he's done this before. So I think just like that presence. Um, really, really helps. And I think some of these other teams kind of have it in certain spots, but like the Panthers have that type of leadership and like veteranship in a way that none of these other rookie spots really do. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, shit, uh, Dak stepped in and that was because Tony Romo got hurt 
doesn't hurt yeah. to have Tony Romo in your room, though. <laughs> it's exactly. like providing ideas. He still wants to win. I mean, it, it, absolutely. That's why now we've talked. This whole show is about circumstances and everything, but that is cannot be understated enough about how much that QB coach, offensive coordinator, whatever play caller it is, and maybe even the back a backup quarterback that can you bounce ideas off of. And that's what Josh McCown, as a player, was basically a player coach. By the end of his career, like that cannot be discounted enough because that is something or, or, or underrated enough or that <laughs> cannot be overstated enough. I'm sorry, but that is something that it, it matters. It really does, because these guys need ideas to bounce off of. And sometimes it can't always be the coach can be the coach. Sometimes it has to be the backup quarterback, but it does matter. Yeah. And, the, and like the opposite example is Mac Jones. Like yeah. they had some of the good stuff the first year. And yeah. then the second year, they're like, oh, we're going to make Matt Patricia the offensive coordinator. Doesn't know anything about quarterbacks. We're going to make Joe Judge the quarterback coach. Doesn't know anything about quarterbacks. Yep. We don't have an offensive or we don't have an offensive head coach. Like obviously Bill is the goat, but he's not a quarterbacks guy necessarily. They just completely scrapped his support system. And yep. it's like, well, what is he? What is he supposed to be working with? That's a big shell shock when you go from previously having Josh McDaniels. It's a very different. Yes. It's a very different support system you have. Think about all the turnover that the Dolphins had. They had multiple mm-hmm. offensive coordinators for a couple yep. of years and went through five offensive line coaches. They had two at the same time. And just how bad <laughs> that was. Yeah. They, they had two offensive line coaches. They had two offensive coordinators and went through four offensive line coaches. All the turnover there. Think about what happened with Daniel Jones. And the, all the play calling nonsense there and just the lack yeah. of stability that they had. I mean, that, that stuff is very real. And then the other one is the Jets. Remember, because the Jets, they had Greg Knapp as their quarterback yeah. coach, and then he passed away before the season, and they didn't have a veteran backup. So yeah. Zach Wilson's kind of sitting there. They brought in John Beck to kind of like yeah. give them stability. Like these things, I think, do really matter. And so just, I think the biggest takeaway, kind of the last note on this is you need a lot. These guys, it's It's very, very, very few guys are going to transcend this. You know, like I I tweeted earlier today just how crazy it is to think about. I did a lot of memory road stuff today, obviously, going back through this. Thinking about Patrick Mahomes having one career start and coming in to have the season he did in 2018. Just imagine that. I mean, just, just how crazy it is. We didn't even know who he was coming into week one of that season. He had one game that we had seen him. I remember sitting at a bar the night before the season started. My buddy was like, Patrick Mahomes is an interesting MVP bet. And I was like, yeah, it'd be crazy. But like, yeah, it's an interesting one to say the least. And he throws 50 touchdowns. It's one of the greatest seasons he's ever seen. Think about what we're talking about here. He had Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and Andy Reid and Mitch Morse and two starting tackles. He had a year where he sat on the bench. Think about how many things had to fall into place for him to have that season. I mean, even Justin Herbert, who had pretty shitty circumstances. And you're one, even though this play caller changed, he still had Shane Steichen, who clearly has shown to be very, very good at this job. He still had Keenan Allen. I got to build the passing game through. So I think my main takeaway here is it's great to have everything. But if we're doing it in three categories, stability, up on play caller, offensive line, pass catchers, you need two or three. Mm -hmm. If you don't have two of the three, it's almost a non-starter. So yep. you need to make sure that you're building that infrastructure for this guy, whoever he is, that you're about to drop in here. Yeah, that's why I'm scared about all this Titans talk about them moving up. Oh, my God. That, 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 well, that's that is a negative one out of three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I think with that, I mean, you just have to sit him. I remember a conversation I had, and kind of, again, one of the last things here, that 2016 Rams team that we talk about, okay? Yeah. In 2017, Greg Olson was the Rams offensive or was the quarterback's coach for that Rams team mm-hmm. when he came in with McVay. And I remember talking to him about golf and that rookie season, how bad that year was. And I've, I've told the story before, but he said, 
you want to make sure that they play enough to get experience, but they don't play long enough in those circumstances to develop scar tissue. And seven games for golf in that 2016 season was enough for him to kind of split that difference. He got to play, but it wasn't long enough to develop scar tissue. If you drop a rookie quarterback in week one into those Titan circumstances or in week four, scar tissue's coming. I just think you have to understand what the timeline is there. You know, you're drafting the top 10. You can maybe go get someone. There aren't that many teams that are going to be hunting for that Will Levis type with the sixth, seventh overall pick. If the Raiders don't like him, maybe this is your best shot. But I think you got to be real, real careful about the timeline and about when you're putting this player into that position. And not every quarterback has the mindset that Jared Goff is. We, either, you know, Jared Goff's not a perfect quarterback, but the one thing is he's He's tough. He's tough and as shit. He, he, yeah, and I mean that because he's willing to get up and forget whatever that last play was. Yes. And he just, uh, I actually I talked to Dan Orlowski about this, and we were just laughing that like him and I don't have that mindset. We remembered all our bad plays, and we remembered getting hit. We like that, but Goff is just has that mindset where he's like, "Oh, next play, whatever." And not every guy has that. And that's just saying that like everybody's different, and that's why these situations matter. Just help him out because you never know what you're getting with these guys. Jared Goff deserves so much credit for the shit that he's pulled himself through in his career. I, I, I remember on seeing, seeing him talking to him after that the Super Bowl, and that, he just got the shit kicked out of him that game. I mean, just uh, he was bruised and bleeding, and just like that guy, he got shipped off to Siberia as like a throw-in in that trade, and everyone thought we'd ever hear from him again. He's playing well. Like That's another thing with these guys I think is so underrated is mental toughness, not only in a – play to play mistake to mistake level but on a big picture level like your ability to work through these fallow periods in your career not everyone is wired like that and it it takes a lot to get through those stretches and jared goff i think has done a very good job of coming out on the other side so one little bit of jared goff appreciation before we end up the podcast (laughs) jared goff greg roman got some love i mean weird day You know, how, you know how fucking hard it is to be even like a relatively successful member of the NFL world as a quarterback yeah, or yes. play caller. Like <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can take pot shots and make jokes about some of these guys every yeah. once in a while. Like it's hard. They're, they're, it, what they've done is very impressive. Yes, it is. That's uh, always always want to make sure that these guys are really good at what they do. It's just that you know there's a, a ones that are even better, which and is and there's a cap as well. on some of them. They get yeah. they get to a ceiling. I think that's yeah. important to understand. Yes, All right, uh, Derek, this is fun as hell, man. Really appreciate yeah, you coming on to do this with us. Uh, we will absolutely be doing it again sometime. Yeah, this was amazing. Very glad to be on again. This was uh, uh hopefully don't have as many bad takes as I did last time, like the Matt Ride one. We're we'll we're we'll fine. Well, we've we've forgotten that the, the AFC South pod. This was existed. a lessons episode. It wasn't I was a, a little bit episode, worried so when I'm you were good. getting into the Frank Reg appreciation. I was like, uh oh, he's going down this road again. No, no, no. Uh oh, here we go again. <laughs> That's all we got for today. We will be back on Monday, so please come back and hang out with us. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, if you would. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go let us know that you like the show. It would mean a lot to me if you did. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. Nate did a mock draft with Deontay this week. Yeah. Our top 100 players that Dane has done is now interactive which yeah. you can check out on theathletic.com. It's, really cool. it's a very good user interface. Theathletic.com slash football show. Think still a dollar a month for the next 12 months. Think that's still going on. So please take advantage of that. Draft season, in my opinion, is one of the best times to get your athletic subscription because you can read everything Dane does and all the other great work that we're doing over there. For now, that is all we have. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.